I remember, you know, climbing the first major summit and like doing some of these like gnarly descents down a snowfield and like down this like rocky, rooty trail. And I remember I was like feeling it. I was getting into my groove because the steeper it got, the more I felt in my element. Then I was being able to like use my hands and um, scramble and like kind of navigate my way around this ridgeline. And then in a moment, everything just changed. The horizon was upside down. Welcome to Athletes Unfiltered, inspiring stories from the Strava community told by the runners and cyclists who live them. I'm your host, Hilary Allen, and each week we'll explore what it means to be an athlete through tales of perseverance, determination, and courage. We're kicking off the season with tales of healing, stories of athletes rebuilding during the toughest of times, pushing through the lowest of moments towards recovery. Each individual you'll hear from today has at one point or another had to ask themselves, am I broken? And how do I heal? The story you just heard was my story. The story of how I went from being at the top of my sport and feeling on top of the world to a hospital bed, where I'd have to relearn to move, relearn to be myself, and reevaluate who I was and what running meant to me. We'll return to my story later on, but first, I want you to hear from Chaz Davis, a runner in Denver, Colorado. Running's always been important to Chaz, not only because he's been a dedicated track competitor for most of his life, but also because it's something he just loves to do. Chaz is 18 years old. He'd just started college and was in the throes of freshman year, bonding with roommates, going to parties, asking out girls, and above all, running track on a Division I team. He wasn't a star athlete or anything, but he loved being on the team, and he loved how running made him feel. But then... So it was March of my freshman year when I first started to lose vision in my right eye. At the time, I thought, okay, I was just going to be blind in one eye, and that's really not too big of a deal. My other eye began to become affected that summer, but I still wasn't given the reason why. And that summer, it took tests through blood work to figure out that I did have this disorder. Chaz was diagnosed with LHON, Leber's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy, in the summer of 2013. It's an extremely rare disease that affects only 100 people a year, and the majority are men. Chaz was told he would ultimately lose vision in both eyes. As you can imagine, his head was spinning. Less than a year earlier, he had been fine. How? How could this be happening? It was a lot of denial. I just thought that, hey, this is a temporary thing, I'm gonna get my sight back. But my parents were crying and very emotional. I think it started to really settle in that, hey, I'm not actually going to ever get my sight back. One of the first things the doctors told Chaz was that exercise and overexertion would worsen his eyesight. In other words, if Chaz wanted to maintain his current level of vision, he'd have to stop running. I took about a year off from running because I was going through an emotional transition. 
and it was it was not a good time. I gained probably 50 pounds, drank a lot, ate a lot, and wasn't taking care of myself at all. For the first time in years, I wasn't confident in who I was as a person. Chaz struggled with depression for much of the following year. And then one afternoon, he received an invitation from his hometown of Grafton, Massachusetts. Grafton's annual five-mile race was approaching, and they wanted Chaz to be the guest of honor. It's such a community event, and so the whole town kind of comes out to support the runners there. And part of the proceeds that year were going to go toward research into the disorder that I had. And I said, if the town was going to be willing to kind of support me along this journey, then I have to at least give it an effort to, to run in in this event. Chaz enlisted two friends to run with him, to help guide him. It had been months since he'd last run, and he was nervous. But his body knew what to do. And for the first two miles of the race, things were going well. And then... I tripped on the curb in front of probably 500 people and just went down flat on my face. The first thought was really, I just have to finish this race you know, people are counting on me. And I want to go up that last hill towards the finish line and have everyone there that came out to support me watch me finish this first race after losing my vision. And I just brushed off falling, and it wasn't really a big deal as far as I thought because before that, I didn't even know how a blind person could run at all. So that was a victory in itself. Chaz had gone into this race thinking it was a one-time deal. He'd get through the five miles, and that would be it. But something about his community's support and love and the feeling of making it across that finish line made him change his mind. It didn't matter that he was blind. The joy of running was the same. Chaz decided it wasn't over. He would keep running. I wasn't sure how I was going to do it and if I'd ever compete collegiately again. But I knew that I was going to start running pretty much every day because that's what I needed to do. And I needed to do that not for anyone else, but just myself. I needed to prove to myself that those kind of things weren't going to stop me anymore. From there, I decided to train every single day. The training just consisted of running on the treadmill, falling off of the treadmill because I didn't know how to balance myself as a blind person on the treadmill, running on the track because I could still discern the white lines of the track. Eventually, I started to get to the point where I knew I could be competitive again and start racing again. And at that point, I decided to commit to running my first indoor track race on a 160-meter track. But even though he'd committed himself to this race, Chaz was nervous. He was going to be the only blind runner in a field of sighted competitors. My dad told me, you know, you just have to go out there and try it. Because if you don't try it, you don't know. And I was able to run that race. It was a 3,000 meter race. And I finished it. And it was a huge experience for me. One of one of the landmark experiences, I would say, since I've lost my vision. Um, just getting back on the track for the first time. On the track, Chaz got faster and faster, more and more competitive. And he realized that before, as a sighted runner, he'd been good. But after losing his vision, 
Chaz suddenly found he was becoming great, someone to contend with, someone to watch out for. Somewhere along the line, someone told me about the Paralympic Games and that it followed the Olympics, um, but it was entirely made up of people with disabilities, with physical disabilities. So I said, wow, that might be something I could do. The Paralympics are the foremost competition in the world for elite athletes with disabilities. Qualifying would be a reach for Chaz, a challenge. But Chaz was done with shying away from perceived hurdles. He decided to go for it. I was able to get in the best shape of my life and and run times that I didn't really think I could run. So I made huge improvements from the previous year to my senior year where I had even more confidence going into that summer where the Paralympic trials were going to take place in July and then eventually the Paralympics in September. His hard work paid off. Chaz qualified for the Rio Paralympic Games. He did it. And while he may not have earned a medal, Chaz broke two American records for athletes with visual impairments. And what's more, he found a community. Only after I, I ended up going to the Paralympics did I connect with a blind runner who was an elite runner. So it, it really took until after I made it to that point to even introduce myself to other people going through similar things. For Chaz, meeting other blind athletes at the Paralympics reinforced his confidence in himself. And after the Games, he began to think long and hard about the path he wanted his life to take. A lot of blind people don't really have employment. And so I really knew I needed to give myself a chance and and go seek a master's degree. When I lost my sight, one of the people that helped me get my life back on track was a social worker himself. And so that's kind of what sparked that change in, in my career path and wanting to help people a lot more. Chaz was accepted to the world-renowned Colorado Center for the Blind, a nine-month program that prepares visually impaired individuals for the workforce. Immediately following graduation, he was accepted to the University of Denver's Graduate School of Social Work. And through it all, he's kept running. For Chaz, running changed his perspective on what he believed to be his limitations. It helped him to stop feeling unqualified, stuck, or broken. Running allowed him to realize he wasn't any of those things. His vision had changed, but he was still complete. When I'm running, I really feel like I'm a liberated person because on a day-to-day basis, I can feel confined by using my cane or using my guide dog to get around And at that point, I have to really just rely on either the cane or my dog to be able to navigate life. And I really feel like a blind person. But when I run, it's when I feel like my old self. And I am not ashamed at all about being blind because, you know, I've had some of the best experiences of my life as a blind person. But everything just goes away when I'm out there on the road or on the trail. Running is a lot of things to me, but most importantly, running allows me to really give myself purpose again. It's just something I really love to do. 
that was Chaz Davis, a runner from Colorado. The next story of healing after a period of hurt, of brokenness, comes from Kelly Roberts. Kelly grew up in San Diego, California, in a very athletic family. Her father was a Pac-10 swimmer. He had Olympic trial shirts and was constantly pushing Kelly and her siblings towards sports. Kelly's brother and her sister took immediately to wrestling, football, soccer, and more. They loved it. It came naturally to them. But Kelly was the odd one out. I hated everything athletic. I hated, I mean, my senior year of high school, I think I missed 75 days of school just trying to get out of P.E. because I put it off for so long that I was the senior in a class of freshmen and sophomores taking P.E. I just didn't like it. Like, I, I was bad at it. I didn't like being bad at it. I didn't like working out. Kelly was instead drawn to the stage, to storytelling and performance. She pursued a theater degree in college and dreamed of becoming a working actor. But in 2009, a tragedy struck. Kelly's younger brother died of alcohol poisoning. All her plans went out the window. The hardest part about that period was how numb I felt. I used to think that extreme pain that I used to feel was the worst. But the truth is, like, when you're so numb that you feel like nothing, you feel blank all the time, you almost start looking for ways to feel stuff. This was the first time in my life that, like, I really, really, really was unhealthy and unhappy and didn't know what to do. And, I mean, I even had a doctor, you know, tell me, you know, you're on a path towards, you know, diabetes, obesity, like, all these health complications that you can reverse right now. And I wish I would have walked out of that office and been like, I'm going to make a change. But, you know, I didn't. I sat in my car and cried. How do you cope with a change that's so life-altering? when there isn't an easy fix or an easy answer. For Kelly, the remedy came out of nowhere. And it's something she would have never expected. Earlier that year, I'd seen uh, one of my friends run a marathon, and she kind of did it out of nowhere. Like, I, I didn't know anyone who ran. And she didn't really know anyone who ran, but out of nowhere, she joined a charity team and decided to run a marathon. And I remember like standing at the finish line, we were cheering her on and seeing so many different people of so many different shapes and sizes, which I totally wasn't expecting. You know, and in, in your mind, you have what you think a marathoner looks like. And here I was like that myth was being blown out of the water. Watching the runners, people she never imagined being able to relate to. Something came over Kelly. A sudden itch. A sudden yearning. I just felt like I needed to move. And I went outside, and the sun was rising, and I, I'd like, took off down my block and had to stop to walk. But for some reason, for, like, the first time in my life, I didn't turn around and go home when I thought that I, you know, would, that running was too hard, and I just walked a little and ran a little. And, uh... Yeah, that day, I think it took me <laughs> well over an hour to go three miles. But uh, yeah, two, two and a half months later, I ran my first half marathon. Kelly began running. And slowly, slowly, she started to heal. It helped me feel again. And it just gave me a way to feel something that didn't feel hopeless. In 2013, Kelly started telling her story and sharing her journey as an athlete. I started this blog, Run, Selfie, Repeat. 
I just wanted to create a space for people who wanted to laugh at the fact that they are running or working towards these goals because there wasn't a lot of super funny content for runners. You know, it was all pretty serious bloggers who I never could identify with. And for me, like just three to four miles was such a, it it felt like a pilgrimage every single time I went out. But I mean, I did it because it brought me so much joy and helped me grieve and did all these things for me. So I wanted to marry the two, both like the life-changing transformative side of running with, we can laugh at the fact of all of this crazy stuff that we do trying to run these half and full marathons. A year after its creation, Kelly's blog went viral. She had posted a series of selfies with hot guys taken while running a marathon. And the community loved it. It was at this point that Kelly decided to open up her website to make it not just about her story, but a platform for other athletes to talk about their journeys as well. I've always known the power of stories, you know, like that's my theater background. So I knew I wanted to create a platform for other people to share their stories as well. And for me, like running is so much more than running. And I think it is that for so many other people, you know, it's it's what they do to survive a death or to survive, you know, the death of a relationship or a divorce or, you know, miscarriage, breakups, cheating, lost a job feeling lost. There's so many reasons why so many people start running or set out to run their first half or full marathon. Being able to share those stories is what I wanted to do. So Run Selfie Repeat became She Can and She Did, the new website. And it was a place where women could share their stories and be heard and be seen and talk about not just how far they ran or how fast or slow or, you know, average they ran, but why they run. The stories flooded in. Not only did Kelly's site become an outlet for people to share their obstacles, achievements, and determinations, it also transformed into a platform for community support and encouragement. I watched these interactions that happen and all these people connect and support one another. Like That is the most astonishing thing. And then being able to see the story behind it and what they went through and you know, who they met along the way and who supported them and believed in them and how they helped them believe in themselves and how they have since helped someone else do the same and it's now going for it. It's just, it's like a never-ending cycle of just sunshine and rainbows. (laughs) It's pretty amazing. At this point, it might seem like Kelly's figured it out. She's in a completely different place from when she first started running. But the truth is, Even for a person with multiple marathons under her belt, with the community that looks up to her and supports her, running doesn't always feel easy. I don't know if I love running. (laughs) Today I do. (laughs) I think, you know, it just depends on the day. I think I love the idea of it, and that's what's important. I love what it does for me and what what it's done for how I see myself and what I'm capable of, that resonates harder than the days where I cry on a street corner because for some crazy reason I can run 18 miles one day and I can't make it three the next. If I could distill running in one word, it's strength. And I don't think strength looks like anything. I think it's a feeling. I think 
When you feel strong, you feel unstoppable. You feel confident. You feel, you know, just ease, an absolute sense of ease that you could do anything. It won't be easy. You may fall on your face 34 times on your way there. Either way, tomorrow's going to come whether you want it to or not. Don't sit sit on your ass and, and wait for the right time to get started. You know, value yourself enough to fight for the strongest version of yourself. Like that is the thing that running has done for me and absolutely changed my life. That was Kelly Roberts, a runner and blogger in New York. So far, we've heard two stories of resilience, about how, as people, as athletes, we overcome our lowest moments, how we adapt, find our strength, and dig ourselves out, and become stronger because of it. This is something I'm deeply familiar with. In 2017, I was at the top of the world and the top of my sport, and then I fell off a cliff, literally. But let's rewind. Okay, I'm Hillary Allen. I am, well, I guess some know me as a runner, but I would describe myself as a big science nerd because I've been a scientist longer than I've been a runner. I live in Boulder, Colorado. I grew up in Colorado. It's a wonderful place. It's my, it's my home. I have this nickname called Hilly Goat that came very early um, when I started running. And it actually came from an ex-boyfriend of mine. We were running in this group, and I was just like a total newbie. You know, they'd been on the trails in Boulder forever, like running up and down these, you know, Green Mountain, Bear Peak, like all these crazy places that everyone knows about. And so these trails are super steep, and I didn't know what to do. So I was just, you know, like, okay, well, I just run. Like, I just kind of run for as long as I can and then just, you know, stop. And I turn around and like no one's there. <laughs> I'm like, what happened? Did I take the wrong the wrong turn? And then as soon as we catch up, this guy's just like, Tam, like you're you're a you're a goat. So I'm gonna call you Hilly Goat. It did feel pretty good to beat those guys. <laughs> I think more 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 than anything, it was I was just so joyous and just so happy to be out there and Going up a hill, like I love it just because of the grind of it, but also just these beautiful views that you get to see. I feel like it's within all of us. I've, it's always been within me to be moving, and um, I think I just needed time to figure out how best I could move and express myself. And when I started running, that was one step towards it. But then once I started trail running, that was it. I had found it. I got into ultras very quickly. Like I did my first 50 mile race in June of 2014 and I ended up setting a course record and I I won that race. And then also in 2014, I had signed up for these sky races and I ended up winning that whole sky running series. And in 2014 is when I got signed with the North Face and then I was able to race internationally Uh, starting in 2015, and that's kind of where my seasons have been since. From there, I just kept on choosing races based on what I thought would be fun, which means, you know, they're probably pretty gnarly mountain races, but in different parts of the world that, you know, have this extreme elevation change. 
2016 was a typical year where I started my season in the Canary Islands in Spain. And then I did a race in Madeira in Portugal. I basically did the same thing last year in 2017. A really big, cool goal race that I wanted to do was in this place called Tromsø, Norway. And that was really cool because I'd never been that far north. It reminds me a bit of Alaska. You're at sea level, but then there's these mountains that rise out from the sea. I remember, you know, climbing the first major summit and, like, doing some of these, like, gnarly descents down a snowfield and, like, down this, like, rocky, rooty trail. I was getting into my groove because the steeper it got, the more I felt in my element. Then I was being able to, like, use my hands and um, scramble and, like, kind of navigate my way around this ridgeline. And then in a moment, everything just changed. It was literally as quick as one moment I was running, and the next, I was in the air. I remember realizing that I was falling, and then it was almost as if I was floating outside of my body, and I was observing myself falling, and there was this very calm voice of me, like it was my voice, telling myself, okay, Hillary, this is it. You're about to die. At some point, I was unconscious, and the next thing I remember was seeing familiar faces um, and then waking up and feeling this nauseating, intense pulses of pain. I just remember their faces, and their faces of just absolute terror and despair. I remember the doctor coming, um, the sound of the helicopter. I remember they had to hoist me in to um, a little cot to take me up on the helicopter and take me to the to the hospital. And then finally, when we got into the helicopters, when I like asked if I was going to be okay, and I just started crying and because um, they didn't know what to really tell me. But I remember one of the doctors. Um, you know, she was walking me through it. She was this blonde lady, um, really nice lady. But I remember when, when I came out of the CAT scan, she told me and she said, we are so incredibly relieved. You, you don't have any internal bleeding. Your skull is not fractured. Your femur and your legs are not fractured. You know, she said, you're still, you know, you still are in serious condition, but you're going to be okay. And that was the moment I just, I just lost it. And I don't think it was until two days later that I finally came to terms and realized that the person that had fallen off the mountain, that that was not a dream, that it was me. That's where I think the recovery process began. And um, I'll, <laughs> just a string of emotions and just immense sadness and confusion and anger. Um, but I remember that moment distinctly, like, this is not a dream. This is me. So I got back into the States on a Monday. Then Tuesday, I went to the doctors. And so I had had one surgery on one of my wrists, and I had what was called an external fixation. So basically, like, rods and things were sticking out of my wrist because that was how to stabilize it to heal correctly. The doctor came in, and she had a pretty somber face, and she says, look, um, you have this ligament injury in your foot that they didn't catch in Norway. 
So it's the equivalent of tearing like your ACL, PCL, and meniscus all at the same time, but in your foot. It's a very major contributing ligament to the integrity of your foot, to the arch of your foot. And she told me that, look, this is a this is a foot-changing injury. You need to be aware that you might never run again. And it was like someone just kind of came in and like ripped out my soul. I was just so sad and so angry and so glad that they diagnosed it and that they found it, but just like the thought that I would never run again was, it was almost too much that I couldn't even digest it at that point. I was completely humbled by this experience because I was a runner that took pride in this strength, this this feeling that I could take care of myself and that I could propel myself up these mountains and that I could travel the world solo and, you know, figure it out and just, you know, be completely authentic in myself and strong. And after this accident, I was questioning all of that because I couldn't do any of that stuff by myself. Some days I'd wake up just completely depressed and then then it would somehow get better. Other days I'd wake up, you know, pretty okay and then just find myself just crying in the middle of the afternoon or just completely exhausted and having to nap and not having any energy. I was just so exhausted physically and so exhausted emotionally because I felt like I was in the middle of a snow globe that someone would not stop shaking. For almost a year, there was maybe some point during each day that I was angry that I survived, that I had wished that I had died because it seemed easier. It seemed that I wouldn't have to keep showing up and honestly, that I didn't have to keep surviving every day and fight so hard to eat or move or feel like a shell of who I was. So that's scary. People don't always like hearing that. I mean, I don't always like admitting it. Um, It changed the relationship between me and my mother because, you know, a mom, you're telling your mom, I wish this would have just killed me. And she's so happy that I'm alive. You know, can, can you imagine her receiving that phone call? You know, that I fell off of a cliff. Um, so I think through my experiences, I and my honesty with what I was feeling emotionally, it maybe forced some people to go there as well and to face those unhappy emotions and those feelings. And sometimes people aren't ready to do that. But I was there, and I had to go there in order to heal. I wasn't even able to take my first steps until three months after the accident. Then I started hiking. um, And I remember my first jog. It was around January. It was, I remember it was like a crisp morning. Snow had just fallen. I was on this gravel road path. I wouldn't even call it a trail. It was a gravel road path. And I remember my doctor had told me, okay, like you can start trying to jog now. And I kind of like sat with the information. I was just like, okay. 
And then I went out on this hike, and I started jogging. It was only a minute, and in that minute, I was immediately brought back to falling. And I remember just repeating in my mind over and over again, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. And I didn't even have anything to fall on. There wasn't even rocks to trip on. But it was, it was just that feeling of like the last time I was doing this motion, I nearly died. And my brain remembered it. And I, I did, you know, a minute on, then I walked a minute. You know, like a minute on, and then I walked a minute. And every time I started just jogging, I would hear those words again or that, feel that feeling. But then slowly it got a little bit better, and I started, you know, I was hiking more on the trails. That was about eight months after the accident is when I really was able to kind of start running again. I signed up for a race because I thought to myself, well, I'm never going to be ready. I don't know if I'm elite anymore, but I need to try. Even though I wanted to give up every second before I even started on the start line, I just wanted to not, to not do it because I was so scared. As soon as I crossed that finish line, you get to ring this bell, um, and I was just crying. It just represented so much. Then it was just this um, immense celebration, and I just felt like I was full and that I was kind of rediscovering who I was again. If there's any silver lining, it's that, um, that I had the opportunity to explore, you know, who, who I was, who I am, who I always was, and what I always possessed. Um, and come out the other side. I'm the same Hillary, but people call this like a comeback, but I disagree because I'm not the same, nor will I ever be the same. I feel more at home, I feel more at peace, I feel more full, I feel that colors seem brighter, trails just seem just more vast and they go for longer and the sounds are just crisper and cleaner and I, I just feel more at home in my own, my own body and mind. And I feel this, this quiet strength. And it's like that voice telling me quietly and calmly that this was my demise. That same voice now tells me, you can do anything you set your mind to. And it's that thought, that stillness and confidence that I've been able to discover through this whole experience. I'm Hillary Allen, and this has been Athletes Unfiltered, a podcast by Strava. Thanks so much to our guests this week, Chaz Davis and Kelly Roberts, for reminding us that we are bigger than the problems we face and that a simple ride or a run can give us something to strive for, something to believe in and get excited about. If you have a goal or something you're striving toward, you should try Summit. Summit is Strava's membership program designed to help you achieve. It's our best features made by athletes like you for athletes like you, starting at prices lower than the average energy bar. Whatever your goal, Summit can help you get it. Learn more at strava.com slash summit and use the code podcast at checkout to get your first month for free. As always, we want to hear your unfiltered stories. You can email them to us at podcast at strava.com. 
You can subscribe to Athletes Unfiltered in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you listen. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with more inspiring stories told by the runners and cyclists who lived them.